0: Martin, I uh, I've been up to those uh, Tatza Falls again, the ones that I did a few relatively nice shots of a few months ago. Well, uh, what would it be? Last May, May of 2007, I was here last. I'm back here today. I've been up to the falls for about three hours, and if you can hear, I'm actually trudging through the snow on the way back to the car. Um, usually you can you can drive this road up but I've uh, I came back in the back to the area on the, a spur of a moment yeah um yesterday evening and I was really just trying to get some uh, you know some some winter scenics uh shot I uh, I think one of the biggest holes in my portfolio at the moment is not having some of the beautiful japanese winters covered so decided it was time to to get over over here and there's been a lot of snow recently I'm walking through maybe I don't know 80 centimeters to a meter of snow it's heavy going Uh, I've got uh, I've got all my gear with me I yeah I'm stopping every so often shooting the river and things as well so I've actually still got my tripod extended with the the camera on on the top there Just like it tells you, you shouldn't do in the the tripod uh, manuals. Um, But I just wanted to sort of share, you know, I could feel a podcast coming on, so I figured it was uh, a good time to get my mobile phone out and sort of share a few thoughts. Uh, One of them, a quick tip here, uh, you know, there's a lot of snow falling during the day and i um, a bit out of breath <laughs> um, A lot of snow falling which means obviously that gets onto the front element of your, your lens or your protector filter and if you try and sort of wipe that off with a cloth every time it becomes a bit of a pain pretty quickly but if you leave it on you get all of those little weird effects on the, uh, on the image so just a quick tip was that they actually roll off pretty easily with the blower, you know the little dust blower that you use for cleaning off the dust from the front of the lens that will uh, get rid of um, little beads of water as well pretty nicely so quick tip there while I had it in my mind um, apart from that it's just been a beautiful few hours it's, the forms were great I, uh, I think I've made good use of the new um, the highlight priority function on the 1DS Um, I shot a number of images very low at ISO 50 and a few at 100, but uh, I also used the the SingRay um, variable ND filter as well for some nice flowing water and hopefully some, uh, some long exposures for the current assignment as well um, but the highlights priority thing, that helped me I think to get a higher dynamic range in the uh, in some of my final images because the, well the pro- there's a problem, the thing is that it also forces you to use ISO 200 and um, so well 200 or higher um, but I think that's okay. Well, you know, I used the very ND a few times as well, but even with that on its own, it uh, it really helped to get a good dynamic range. Um, I could see that the highlights were not blowing out anywhere near as much when in the snow um, when I had the highlight priority turned on. So that was uh, that was something that I think I've made good use of. Uh, don't know if I'm make, making good use of this recording right now, though. I'm, Uh, still trudging back towards the car Um, anyway I I don't know how long I can record on this phone either so I guess I'll shut up for now and uh, hopefully we'll be able to follow on from this in a podcast where I'll show you some images uh, that I've just shot catch you later, bye bye
1: Welcome to episode 120 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. That was me all excited about my photographic experience and experiments with the 1DS Mark III on my way back to the car from the Tatsusawa Falls There were a few things that I found interesting on closer inspection of the results uh, during post-processing, but I'll get to that a little bit later. To start, from the beginning uh, though, on uh, January the 3rd, 2008, I went back to the Inawashiro area of Japan, and on the 4th I went back to the falls. With the snow too deep to drive uh, to the the nearby car park, I trudged through the snow for Quite a while to get to the falls, and today we're going to take a look at the fruits of my labor. Also, I, um, I have a statement from our current sponsors, DXO Labs, in reply to our concerns about their choice of um, anti piracy software that they built into their products. I'll read that out uh, at the end of the podcast. Uh, but for now, though, I'm happy to continue with the sponsorship. So here's a word from our sponsors. DxO Optics Pro sets the standard for automatic correction of your digital images. Based on extensive analysis of cameras and lenses, this award-winning software enables photographers to improve hundreds of images very quickly, saving time and providing spectacular results. Version 5 of DxO Optics Pro runs on Mac and Windows. Version 5, which has only just been released, incorporates a new generation RAW converter providing more details and less noise artifacts for a new level of image quality. actually decided to head out to the area where the falls are literally on the morning of Thursday, January the 3rd, and called to book a hotel in the area shortly before lunchtime. I, br- I drove around four hours up to the Inawashiro Lake, uh, arriving with around 30 minutes of daylight left to just uh, capture a few shots of the swans that spend their winter at the lake. I stayed at the lake as I was not sure if i would be able to get over to the falls through the snow and also the hotel not far from the falls is about twice as um you know the the let me let me say that again the hotel that is 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 close to the falls um not the one that i stayed in is twice as expensive as the one um that i know near the lake so that's where i decided to stay the the, the less expensive one we're not going to take a look at um, any shots from this short shoot before night fell, but I do want to, do want to look quickly at one from the uh, early morning the following day, uh, before breakfast, which is number uh, 1663. This isn't particularly a great image, but I wanted to discuss my thinking behind the composition, etc., As you can see i found an area where the sandbank winds its way through the water in an S shape and also the middle stretch of water makes a similar S shape uh, both creating sort of a leading line uh, to lead our eyes into the shot. There are lots of swans kind of lazing around as they start to warm up a little after the harsh cold of the night and a few young swans there sort of swimming into the scene from the right. The back of the scene helps to give our eyes something to stop on and we can then sort of run along that horizon at the back of the image looking into the distance. Not a great image as I say but I quite like the the balance and overall sort of communal feel of the swans in their environment. I also wanted to mention that I cropped about 15% of the top and the bottom of this image equally um, as I just wanted to, you know, all it was adding really was more white snow and more grey sky and not really adding anything to the scene, but leaving it would have detracted something. So you know I just decided to, to get rid of that. I shot this with the seventy to two hundred millimeter lens on the five D by the way, with an ISO of four hundred and a shutter speed of one fiftieth of a second at F nine. After around ninety minutes of uh the shore of the on the shore of the lake, I went back to the hotel for breakfast and tried to find out if it would be possible to get up to the Falls. I received conflicting information from the two guys at the hotel reception. One said that I would probably get up there because I have a four-wheel drive car, and the other said that I probably couldn't get up to the Falls. Well, that was good enough for me, um, so I decided to drive over and take a look for myself. In in fact, I probably would have driven over there anyway. That was one of the main reasons that I'd come over here, and I wasn't really going to take anyone else's word for it, but... I'd asked, and uh, I just thought it was interesting that I got conflicting replies. Um, I had planned to shoot the swans in the early morning a little longer, though, but the scene wasn't exciting me at all. I'd been hoping for more uh, morning mist, which just really hadn't materialised, and so I decided to take my chances with the falls um, straight after breakfast. When I got over there, after about maybe 30-40 minutes driving, I pulled up into... A small car park, maybe just big enough to fit five cars in, um, but there was... It's its one that's quite a distance from the closer car park, uh, which I, I stopped at uh, when I was there early in spring in 2007. Um, That's only around a five, maybe seven or eight minute walk from the falls, um, if there's no snow on the floor. Uh, at the end of this uh, further away car park, though, uh, there was a clear step of snow... Where the snow plows had obviously uh plowed up to, but had not gone any further in this deeper snow, I could see uh you know car tracks, one set of car tracks that had gone maybe twenty meters or what fifty sixty feet um or so into the snow, and then backed up into the and I could see that they sort of led back into the car park. My car is pretty high off the ground, and it's four wheel drive, but I decided that I didn't really want to risk driving up there myself especially as uh, I had no shovel or anything to dig myself out if I got stuck. So I shifted some gear around, you know, parked up, shifted some gear around between the two camera bags that I had in the trunk, because I wasn't going to take the 600mm with me, and I set off to walk up to the falls. I don't know exactly how far it is from the car park. I estimate about a mile, uh, maybe less, but it felt like about three miles through the thick snow. I was walking through um, a small trough made by a number of others, um, a small number of others I would imagine, that had also made the journey through the snow. But I assume these were Japanese people, as the width of the trough told me that they had been made by someone quite a bit smaller than I am. And you know, the the younger generation of Japanese are pretty big these days. Um, You know, a lot of them are are taller than me. Um, But... Um, you know the the middle-aged people um, are still you know they're they're a lot smaller than uh, than most Western um, you know people. So I I found that um, what was what was happening was I was getting frustrated because I had to walk through a trough that was no wider than probably both of my feet put next to each other, and the the sides of this trough were too high for me to walk through the thick snow, and I I shouldn't complain at all uh, because. You know, this is walking through this trough was going to be a lot easier than trudging through the the um, thick fresh snow, but still, I found it made for very tiring walking. I, you know, of course there was still a fair amount of snow to thre- t- tread down, and the walk up to the falls is slightly uphill. Uh, also, I'm. Definitely not as in in as good a shape as I need to be, um, used to be, or need to be to you know to do this sort of stuff. So despite it being below freezing, I found myself sort of having to stop and catch my breath a few times. And when I finally made it to the falls after about forty minutes, I I was uh, so hot that I'd started to sweat, and uh, I took my down jacket off for a while until I started to feel the chill again before I set about the task of uh, photographing the falls. But uh, back to the the narrow trough, what I basically ended up doing was, um, after a while, I ended up starting to put more energy into sort of kicking my feet outwards to break into the snow so that I could get a, a sort of a, a wider, I don't know, a wider girth, is it? Um, you know, I wanted to walk with my legs wider apart, so I... Uh, I ended up kicking into the snow to sort of to give myself enough room to walk how I would do naturally uh, but still it was it was pretty tiring with uh, you know everything uh, all calculated in there in image number 1665 you can see one of my first attempts uh, of shooting the falls here we can see that I've taken a, a wider approach to the falls than my shots from spring of 2007 The the falls alone didn't make for a very captivating subject without the fresh green leaves on that branch uh, that we see just off centre here, now bare for the winter. Now the main subject, and indeed my reason for returning at this time, was the snow. As I mentioned in my excited message uh, that we heard in the introduction there, I'm trying to gather more sort of winter shots for my portfolio, I'm actually thinking of putting a winter-only portfolio together and actually bought the the rights to use the music uh, that we were played in with after that recording um, just for that purpose, to use in my portfolio slideshow of winter shots. Uh, but I, I still really need a few more shots to be able to put together a decent portfolio, so that's what I'm starting to work on here. I was shooting with the 1DS now, having left the 5D in the car for my trek through the snow, Uh, For this image I'd selected an aperture of f11 which gives a fair amount of depth of field at 35mm and ISO 100 for 6 tenths of a second, so just over half a second there. That's plenty long enough to give me that smooth silky feel in the water and I was of course checking my histogram to ensure that my whites were white uh, but not blown out. With whites of course you really want to pay attention that you have them right over to the right shoulder of the histogram, but not touching it at all. I've composed the shot, obviously, with the large tree along the left of the frame, and those two large patches of snow are kind of anchoring each of the, the bottom corners with the stream running out of the the bottom naturally. I would have liked a solid body of white all the way up the right side as well, but there are, like, rocks and trees and stuff over there so it wasn't to be. Um one quick tip on metering snow scenes. I've mentioned this before, but I'll just throw this in while we're at it. Um generally when I'm metering snow, I I look through the, you know, I I take a, a guess at what I'm looking at, you know, what I'm going to um set the exposure at to begin with and then look through the finder and start to modify it so that um, you know, if I fill the if you fill the screen the frame with snow, totally white, um, and then start to move the your settings around, what you'll find is that snow, um, relatively bright snow, needs to be about one and two thirds of a stop overexposed or overexposed as opposed you know compared to what your camera thinks it should be. So generally, that's what I do. I just sort of set it up um, and then in manual mode usually. Uh, and then I'll, uh, you know, just move move the uh, aperture to what I want for the you know the depth of field, and then set the shutter speed so that it gives me uh, that the carrot moving along the the uh, exposure scale there. I I want to see that go to one and two thirds above um, the zero mark, and that's usually f- perfect for snow. So that's just a, a quick tip there. In the next shot, image number 1666, we can see that I have included both of the falls. The main falls to the right are actually uh, what they call the male falls, as in masculine falls, and the smaller, more slender falls to the left are the female falls. You often find this uh, naming convention used for double falls here in Japan. I'm not sure if that follows in other countries. These folds are actually pretty much at right angles to each other in reality, uh, but the wide angle, um, you know, the wide end of the 16 to 35 millimeter lens allows me to get both of them in like this, with very little room either side, but, you know, I can get them in. I adjusted the vertical positioning so that the blob of snow in the uh, bottom left there, uh, that's sort of like an arrow, it's pointing out of the frame in the same direction as the flowing water, This time I'd reduced the ISO to 50 and was shooting still at f11, but for 1 eighth of a second now. You might notice from the EXIF data, if you're looking at these on my website at martinbaileyphotography.com, that um, for this shot and a few of the others, I'd actually switched to aperture priority mode, even though I just mentioned shooting in manual mode. And I wanted to just touch on the reason for this. I'd started to take some five-shot uh, bracketed images so that I could maybe try some HDR mergers uh, when I got home. And I, you know, as I found, the reason I wanted to do HDR was because I found that there was a lot of, you know, a very a lot of contrast. The the bright whites um, were, obviously, I was, I was needing to expose to those, but that was really allowing the water um, to go very, very dark. And uh, so what I'd noticed, though, um, was... After I'd been working like, like this for some time, the camera in the bracketing mode, auto exposure bracketing AEB, was uh, starting to, it was changing the aperture and not the shutter speed when it was working through the set of five exposures. And that, of course, is not what I wanted. If the aperture changes, then the, the depth of field changes, and that would make really not, it would make me not be able to use the resulting images um, in an HDR merge. I could not think for the life of me why this was happening, but I found that if I changed from manual mode, uh, which I used most of the time and I'd been using up to that point, um, to aperture mode, uh, aperture priority mode, the brackets worked how I expected, with the shutter speed changing instead of the aperture. When I got home and looked into it, into this, it turns out. Uh, that one of the custom functions that I'd changed was behind this, uh, and although not obvious, um, I found it um, relatively easily because I knew the sort of the, the changes I'd made. I'd um, when I was playing around with the the 1Ds, I found that what I'd done, uh, well, in manual mode, basically, I'd switched the main dial, uh, which is the the one near the shutter button, with the quick control dial on the back of the camera, so. Instead of the main dial changing um, aperture, I think it is that you know that it was changing the shutter speed and vice versa. So uh, what I'd done is I'd switched those around. Uh, for those of you that are interested, that's custom function in set four and custom custom function number five. Um, it's called uh, TV slash AV setting for manual exposure. It does state in the manual uh, that when you make this selection the shutter speed will be fixed and the aperture changes when you uh, use auto-exposure bracketing, so it was right there, but I'd not paid any attention to that when I'd been playing with the custom functions. Anyway, with that explained, I should also say that HDR didn't help much with the dynamic range, so I didn't use that in my final selection. I had also mentioned in my excited recording that I I tried... uh, what I've done is I've tried using the highlight priority setting to overcome the dynamic range issues. Well, it turns out that I was slightly wrong about that too. Um, We'll see in a moment, but let's let's bring up image number 1668. I've done a few things during capture here uh, that I want to go into, but to start with, I have used, uh, as I say, the highlight priority setting on the 1DS Mark III. What this does, as the name states uh, or suggests, is give priority to the highlights, which is, in this case, the snow. I saw immediately that the snow stopped blowing out at the same exposure with the highlight priority turned on. What I suspected, but couldn't really tell from the LCD, though, was that this actually caused a lot more grain um, in the shadows, which is, of course, uh, the water and the rocks in this shot this uh this the thing is um highlight priority doesn't really increase the dynamic range it just shifts it what i what it gives you is uh, highlights um you know that are that are you've got a lot more um gradation possible a lot more um data saved in the highlights, but it robs you of this from the shadows, so you end up with less bits um to store your data with in the shadows so it results in I wouldn't say so much grain, but like less of a you know the gradation, the gradual um, steps that you have going through from black to the dark to mid greys um, are are much fewer. So you end up with um, much more sharp um, jumps between the various gradations. I still like this shot as it is with a lot of contrast between the blacks and the whites, but I'm going to be more careful when using this feature in future it will probably work much better when the majority of the shot is lighter shades rather than a high contrast shot like this. Also note um, that the the blueness of this shot is um, partially, I believe, caused by the SingRay Very ND filter, which is something else that I want to go into now. I'll put a link to the details of the the very nd filter from SingRay into the show notes, if you're interested in taking a look, that is. Uh, But basically, this is a filter that looks a little like a polarizer, but it's basically a neutral density filter. But as you turn it, it gives you, as the name suggests, variable degrees of neutral density from two stops to eight. And I'll probably do a full podcast on this filter once I've got more example images, uh, but here what i've done is i put the filter onto my seventy to two hundred millimeter lens with a stop down ring i should mention uh i bought the uh, an eighty two millimeter very n d uh so that I could use it with the sixteen to thirty five millimeter f two point eight version two lens but the seventy to two hundred millimeter uh f two point eight has as you'll, many of you will probably know, a 77 mm um, filter mount. So I need to stop down that difference with an adapter. When the you know what what happened after that though, you know, I, I basically sort of lined up the shot, got it all ready, and the cool thing is, is that having set everything up and deciding that I wanted about an eight second exposure, my first shot showed me that my highlights were blowing out slightly and so i think it was blowing out I, I i don't remember exactly it was the the exposure wasn't correct anyway so instead of changing the exposure uh with the camera i you know so that i could maintain my depth of field and my um the shutter speed uh, which i wanted obviously for that silky flowing water look um i just i simply turned the very nd um and that just gave me more darkness as it were and then just reshot the image and i just thought that was really cool to be able to do that i can't wait to work more with this filter so that i can talk to you more about it one downside of this filter is that even though i bought the thin framed version to reduce vignetting on wide angle lenses it has a significant amount of vignetting at the wide angle at the wide end of my 16 uh, to 35 mm lens even when I removed the protector filter and used only the very ND, which was pretty disappointing. Apart from that, though, I'm very happy with it. And, you know, I shot this uh, this shot at F11, by the way. And as I said earlier, you know, the highlight priority setting uh, forces a minimum ISO of 200, so that's what I was shooting at. I spent the... um. Well, I think probably around three hours, um, two and a half to three hours at the falls, with a significant amount of that time wasted because of the uh, aperture changing instead of the shutter speed from a bracketed shots. But I still chose the, you know, the, the middle one that was exposed how I expected for a few of those, like one of the ones that we looked at earlier. Um, still, though, I had a great time just sort of being out there in in the cold uh, with my camera and the falls and the snow. I didn't really realise that I was going to, uh, I was going slightly uphill to the falls until I started to make my way back. As I was going along um, back towards the car from the falls, uh, I noticed that the walking was a lot easier, even with the narrow trough. Um, and I think it was probably because it was it was slightly downhill, and I, I, it was just enough to sort of to put the pressure on me um, in my you know the out of shape Martin. Uh, on the way up, uh, and probably also the having done all of the shooting and everything, the excitement and a little bit of adrenaline helped me to get back to the car, um, getting without getting anywhere near as tired as I had done on the way up there. I stopped a number of times uh, on the way back to shoot the scenes around me. Um, I've posted a number of those. I'll put a link into the show notes so that you can see all of the shots from the uh, you know from the the few minutes at the end of the previous day and this day. Um I I want to look at one last shot uh, quickly before we finish um, that I I shot from the uh, you know looking back along the road up the stream um that I, not the road the track you know the, that I'd walked along to get to the falls and this is image number uh, 1670 with the patches of snow on the the rocks in the river, with the snowy banks, I, I really just couldn't help but shoot a few more shots like this one, uh, which gives you a good idea of the, of what the run up to the falls looks like. I shot this at f16 for one twentieth of a second, again at ISO 200. I think I was still in uh, priority uh, highlight priority mode here. I made my way past what would have been um, where I'd parked the car. Had it not been under a few feet of snow, and I made went my way back down the track to where I had actually parked this time. Uh, but I decided on the way, in my excitement, that I was going to record that message that we were played in with. Uh, I just basically loved the sound of trudging through snow, and that was what made me think about recording it. But then, you know, I could really feel that podcast coming on, and I, I just decided to have a, a quick chat, which I'm glad I did. Um. It also, you know, it really wet my appetite for the Hokkaido workshop, which is uh, now just under three weeks away, which I'm really excited about and looking forward to. So, that's almost it for today. I hope you enjoyed joining me at the Tatazawa Falls. Before we finish, just a quick update on the DxO Labs' uh, use of Interlock in their software that I reviewed a few weeks ago. And I will be giving away a version of uh, the DxO Optics Pro uh, version 5 and the film pack uh, as the grand prize for our assignment winners. Uh, As I mentioned uh, in the intro earlier, though, um, DxO Labs have gotten back to me on the concerns raised about their uh, use of the the product called Interlock to prevent piracy of their software and to enforce the time limit on the demo version of their software. And here's what uh, DxO have to say. Thanks to Martin for providing DxO Labs with an opportunity to briefly comment on the Interlock issue. We've used InterLock to manage and protect the license of DxO products for some time now. One thing we would not be able to do without InterLock or a similar solution is to provide a time-limited fully functional demo version. Certainly the use of InterLock is not something new nor is it something hidden with version 5 of the product. Rather than devising our own licensing software, which is clearly not DxO Labs core competency, We have always worked with solutions coming from companies specialized in this field. Based on the feedback we have received from Martin, his audience and others, we are reviewing how we could make use of interlock more obvious to the user prior to installation. After more than three and a half years of selling DXO products to the vast worldwide audience, we are yet to have a confirmation of a single case where a user lost any data due to interlock slash DxO software. Were we to have such a confirmation we would extend the guarantees as documented in the user license agreement. In terms of the future we're always reviewing uh, possible scenarios slash changes to our licensing technologies. A change if selected would have to make sense and bring increased benefits. In that respect the opinion of our user base slash potential user base and opinion leaders is something that we always listen to very carefully. So that's the statement from DXO Labs. Thank you very much guys for taking the time to to send us that. I I've got it I've got to say that I'm not one million percent happy about the situation, but I definitely understand DXO's reasoning and i applaud their openness and willing to work with me on these uh, concerns so let's just proceed with the sponsorship and get that prize out to the person with the most accumulated votes at the end of the long exposures uh, assignment currently in progress and with that all that remains to be said is thanks for listening and you have a great week whatever you do bye bye Photocastnetwork.com, your photography resource in the podosphere. Photocastnetwork.com